చైతన్య చరితామృత్ ఫ్రమ్ లార్డ్ చైతన్య టీచింగ్స్ టు సనాతన్ గోస్వామి వేదశాస్త్ర కహే సంబంధ అభిధేయ ప్రయోజన సంబంధ అభిధేయ ప్రయోజన కృష్ణ ప్రాప్య సంబంధ భక్తి ప్రాప్తేరసాధన అభిధేయ నామ భక్తి ప్రేమ ప్రయోజన పురుషార్థ శిరోమణి ప్రేమ మహాధన మీనింగ్ ఇస్ వెరీ సింపుల్ ద వైదిక స్క్రిప్చర్స్ టీచ్ త్రీ మెయిన్ సబ్జెక్ట్స్ సంబంధ అభిధేయ అండ్ ప్రయోజన్ సంబంధ ద రిలేషన్షిప్ ఇస్ టు బి ఫార్మ్డ్ విత్ కృష్ణ కృష్ణ ఇస్ ద డిజైర్డ్ సంబంధ ప్రాప్య సంబంధ and the praptera sadhan the means to achieve that sambandh is bhakti and that is called as abhideya so abhideya naam bhakti and the ultimate goal to be achieved prayojana is prem and this is purushartha shiromani the greatest goal to be achieved it is prema mahadhan veda shastra ka hai sambandh abhideya prayojana కృష్ణ ప్రాప్య సంబంధ భక్తి ప్రాప్తేరసాధన అభిధేయ నామ భక్తి ప్రేమ ప్రయోజన పురుషార్థ శిరోమణి ప్రేమ మహాధన వేదశాస్త్ర కహే సంబంధ అభిధేయ ప్రయోజన విధేయ ప్రయోజన కృష్ణ ప్రాప్య సంబంధ భక్తి ప్రాప్తేరసాధన ప్రాప్తేరసాధన అభిధేయ నామ భక్తి ప్రేమ ప్రయోజన భక్తి ప్రేమ ప్రయోజన పురుషార్థ శిరోమణి ప్రేమ మహాధన He is very famous for his extremely brilliant, logical and very powerful articles that he writes for the International Back to God Ed magazine over the past so many years. He is also a very dynamic youth preacher. He has just come back from uh, Mayapur conducting one month of Utkarsh camp along with Radhesham Prabhu for more than 400 young students who had come from all over India. They conducted a lot of question answer sessions called faith and doubt sessions very expert in answering philosophical doubts very brilliant speaker that we will discover very soon for some of you who don't know and also chetan charan prabhu has uh, recently been included in the international back to god ed magazine's uh, editorial board is one of the associate editors of the international back to god ed magazine and his colleagues are all very senior shila prabhupa disciples there are five of them four five of them nagraj prabhu urmila mataji prasakarma prabhu 
and his uh, realizations are very deep very profound and at the same time he is also very simple at heart and i have been personally very fortunate to be blessed by his association many times and uh, actually there are a lot of things we can speak about him but since he is not a regular sunday fee speaker here we thought we'll introduce him and also let all the devotees know about him so let us welcome chetana charan prabhu to our shishada gopinath mandir sunday fee program in our traditional style but three times loudly chanting hari ho hari ho hari ho hare krishna thank you rajwari prabhu for your kind words i hope one day they will come true so actually i am not at all qualified to speak in front of all of you but it is only by following the instructions of vaishnavas that we can ever become qualified so as a service to those of senior devotees who instructed me i'll try to speak something so the topic which was displayed earlier was east or west krishna consciousness is the best so many times when we start practicing a spiritual path or in general people sometimes feel that they should practice a spiritual path so a big question comes which path to follow so today we'll discuss some systematic and objective standards by which we can decide this but before that in all of us on the journey of life and we get some realizations in material life and we get some realizations in spiritual life so actually in material life the realizations are essentially about the valuelessness of all material things and in spiritual life the realizations are of the valuableness of all spiritual things that means that normally since our childhood you now we or even before our childhood from our previous lives we are coming from at least i am coming from a lower species so the momentum of material enjoyment of sense gratification is there and just as if a car is moving very fast you cannot stop it even if you put a brake so when we come into the human form of life also we have a lot of material desires but the human form is such that we cannot be satisfied by material things alone you know that's why the animals do eating sleeping mating defending and they sometimes get it sometimes don't get it but they go on with life but it is only humans when they get frustrated in mating that humans commit suicide now no dog commits a suicide because his lover has spurned him <laughs> <laughs> why because in human life our consciousness is endowed for higher happiness for higher achievements and that's why in material life although the momentum of material desires goes on from the animal species but those material desires don't satisfy us and that's why we have many cherished goals i want to get as students maybe i want to get marks then i want to get a job then i want to have a family then i want to have a house and to whatever extent we succeed in this after we get this we realize oh it was anti climax it was a just when the climax was supposed to come to its peak it was anti climax after i get it it's disappointing nothing in material life lives up to its expectations actually whatever we get when we don't have it we hanker for it but as soon as we get it we start hankering for something else whether it be a new dress or a new house or a new car so actually in material life as a person goes forward he realizes 
the valuelessness of material things. But the nature of Maya is that she doesn't let us come to spiritual life. She makes us think, okay, this particular material thing might be valueless, but that will be valuable. Okay, you got this kind of car, that didn't give you pleasure, but that model car you get, then that will give you pleasure. So, increasing the opportunities for material enjoyment is what the modern media, the modern culture does. It's actually the whole advertising industry is a desire-producing industry. Desire-producing industry. Where there are no desires, create desires. And in this way, people never actually come to the realization that it's not that this particular thing in material life is not going to make me happy, but it's material life itself that is not going to make me happy. It's, so that realization we get only if we come in the association of devotees. So Srila Prabhupada explains uh, in one Rathyatara lecture in America, he was giving to hippies. So he said, all of you hippies are not very much appreciated in your country because people say you are frustrated with material life. The hippies were a very peculiar phenomena in world history. Actually, America emerged like the superpower in the Second World War. And America, there was no battle in America, but America was supplying weapons to all the allied countries. So they became very wealthy. And the generation that was born to those who fought in the American war and came back, they were called the flower generation. So right from the childhood, they had everything that ordinary people dream about. Because their parents were wealthy and they were born wealthy. But they found that all these things don't make us happy. Whether it is wealth or position or prestige or power or career, these things don't make us happy. And at that time, there was some propaganda over there that actually you can become happy by spiritual means. That propaganda is correct. But they were taught that you can get spiritual happiness by taking drugs. In fact, there was this drug LSD. So LSD has a chemical full form. But they had their own full form. All those take, who take drugs, they would say, we belong to LSD, the League of Spiritual Discovery. <laughs> so we'll take drugs and we'll make spiritual discoveries. But basically, they broke away from the materialistic way of life that was there in America. And that's why the American mainstream were frustrated with them. These people, they don't take jobs, they don't get married, they don't do anything normal. So Prabhupada was saying, in your country, people don't appreciate you because they say you're frustrated. But he says, I sympathize with you. Human life is meant to be frustrated. Human life is meant to be frustrated, he says. In, in the Vedanta Sutra, it is said, Athato Brahma Jigyasa. He says, you should do spiritual inquiry. But when will the people do spiritual inquiry? When they are fed up with material inquiries. So, this is the uniqueness of Srila Prabhupada's insights. You know, there are so many spiritual teachers who talk about, you should do spiritual inquiry. But what is the corollary of that? That means one has to become actually fed up with material life. Has to realize, uh, Vishwanath Chakrav Thakur in the purport of 2.71, Vihaya Kaman Yaha Sarvan. He says, one who gives up material desires. He says, a transcendentalist loses faith in his material desires. He loses faith. He says, the desire will come for wealth, the desire will come for fame, the desire will come for mundane enjoyment. But he says, oh, I have tried this, this is not going to make me happy. So he loses faith. Srila so Prabhupada was saying, Yes, human life is meant to get frustrated. Because only when we get frustrated, then we will make spiritual inquiry. And animals don't get frustrated with material things. So, in material life, actually, 
gradually we realize the valuelessness of material things but if we come to krishna consciousness then we understand that there is something else that is valuable so now prabhupada explains in another lecture that how does this brahma jignasa the spiritual inquiry take place he says it is by sadhu sangha most people don't have any spiritual inquiry but if they see some sadhus they wonder what are these people doing why are they chanting hari krishna why are they left the world why are they doing such crazy things so then that inquiry comes and that inquiry becomes the seed of their spiritual inquiry and then when we come to krishna consciousness actually we get everything on a platter you know we like if we read his own radhanath maharaj book you know he went out searching for a guru but we look at shri prabhupad the guru went out searching for devotees <laughs> and for most of us actually we didn't go out and search for krishna or guru it is actually devotees who came out searching for us and even when they came most of us were hiding <laughs> we were trying to run away we were trying to avoid i remember in my hostel and the first time there was supposed to be a program so where the program was there in the hostel so 90 96 so the person who was supposed to host the program at the time of the program he locked the room and went away so the preacher was there and i was the attendant so there was no program there was no place to take the program so then i invited him to my room and then from that time i became the host of the program and therefore i had to be present but it was god's and the proof was very wonderful but the point was that person he just the devotee had come to his room but he locked the room and went away and actually that is symbolic most of us avoid uh, actually krishna consciousness either overtly or covertly so because we get everything on a platter it's devotees who come and give it to us and they they actually beg us chant hari krishna practice krishna consciousness so often we don't realize the value of these things so what is the difference between sadhaka chanting the hari krishna maha mantra and a very advanced devotee it's not that advanced devotee chants some other new mantra but that the advanced devotee realizes the value of the mantra so as in the hari nam ashtakam it is said aho dukham maha dukham dukha dukhataram yataha kachayam vismritam ratnam harer naam eva kevalam he says alas what a great sorrow what a great disaster what a great calamity that the common people they mistake the jewel of the holy name to be like a broken piece of glass and they neglect it in fact drumara says the opposite he says actually you are like a the material life existence is like a broken piece of glass material desires material objects but we think of those to be jewels and that which is a jewel we think of that to be as a as a broken glass so we don't realize its value so actually by practicing krishna consciousness we experience the joy of krishna consciousness and we get some realizations of the value but along with that krishna das kaviraj goswami also says that if you philosophically understand how krishna consciousness is the highest gift that god has given us then that will help us to become strong to practice krishna consciousness siddhant baliya chitte na kare alas iha haite krishna lage sudrudha manas so don't be lazy about understanding philosophy because by understanding philosophy you'll become determined to fix your mind on krishna so uh, today we'll philosophically analyze how krishna consciousness is actually 
the supreme gift that is possible in material existence so i was ta- i started by talking about how there are different kinds of paths so there are so many organizations so many teachers so many people teaching so many different things so how do we categorize it so one simple way of categorizing is some people are there who are exclusivists my way is the only way if you don't follow my way you are going to go to hell forever so this sounds very arrogant and very narrow minded bhaktivinoda thakur says nobody has a monopoly on the truth the truth is the legacy of all the children of god so if somebody says that i my way is the only way and everybody else is going to hell that's very narrow minded and there are some people who go to the other extreme oh we don't want this narrow mindedness we will have broad mindedness so what is that broad mindedness always are right so one is only my way is right the other is always are right so you know spiritual path actually um, is meant to give us some knowledge and effect some transformation so it's like if somebody comes from an engineering college and he says my engineering college is the only engineering college in the world if you are not getting a degree from my college then you are bogus that is exclusivism and pluralism is every building is an engineering college <laughs> every building is an engineering college so this pluralism sounds broad minded but actually it it waters down spirituality to nothingness because if everything is right then nothing is wrong and if all path if all our paths are right then somebody says i am an atheist my path is also right but if the atheist path is right then god doesn't exist only and all the paths to love god become wrong so therefore although pluralism is the uh, popular word in modern psyche but actually it is flawed so krishna consciousness is neither of these it is actually inclusivistic inclusivism means that actually one path only and there are many different levels in this path as lord krishna in the 12th chapter of the gita describes you know you can serve me in this way if not that way this way this way so like that we'll discuss this a little bit later later there's one way with various different levels on it now what are these different levels actually bhaktivinoda thakur described this is fear desire duty and love some people approach god out of fear oh that if i don't obey god then god will punish me so therefore let me go to god but that is not a very noble motivation higher than that is out of desire oh i want something from god but then if god doesn't fulfill the desire then forget god god doesn't exist so there are fear desire duty oh god has provided me so much so let me serve him so some people ask you know what has god done for me you know why should i serve god but actually if we look at our own body you know from the scriptural point of we can understand how this body is a source of misery but there's another way of looking at it is actually if we have to make one part of the body artificially the scientists sometimes make this artificial eyes or the organ transplants so nowadays a lot of people have digestive problems so some medical researchers thought we can make artificial stomach you know in the egyptians the egyptian pharaohs you know they were gluttons they like used to eat a lot and what they would do is they would become they would eat and they had employed their physicians to make special 
painless vomiting pills. So they would eat in golden bowls and they'd get another golden bowl, take a pill, vomit everything out. And then again eat and again take a pill and vomit it out. And you can see how desperate the soul is for enjoyment. You know, somehow trying to squeeze out enjoyment. Of course, eventually they vomit it out their intestines only. <laughs> you know, most of them died early. So, the, so people have a lot of digestive problems because people uh, eat at odd times and eat uh, all sorts of odd things. So scientists thought, can we make an artificial digestive system? So if you can't digest food, we'll put a artificial digestive system. Sometimes we have kidney, for kidney we have dialysis and other things. They started, they thought first we'll make a machine. But they found this whole digestive system is so complicated, you will not need a ma- machine. You need a factory. And not a factory, but a chain of factories that even with nanotechnology will be two miles wrong. So then they dropped the idea completely. They found that actually the amount of work that is performed when we eat one morsel of food, you know, the little scientific work is forced into displacement. So there is, it has to go around to all the digestive system. So the amount of work that is required to digest one morsel of food is more than the amount of work that an average human being performs throughout the day. More than what? Throughout the day. Actually, who is doing that work? In the 15th chapter, 14th verse, Lord Krishna describes, Aham Vaishwanaro Bhutva Praninam Dehamashritaha Pranapana Samayuktaha Pachamyannam Chaturvidam So, Krishna says, it is I who have the digestive fire and digest everything for you. So actually it is Lord Krishna who is, you know, people ask, what is God doing for me? He is even digesting your food. (laughs) You know, there is a saying, God gives and forgives, we get and forget. We get and forget. So, actually scientists try to do an analysis of, you know, if we had to put artificial limbs into the body. So we can't put artificial limbs in the stomach, we can't put artificial stomach, we can't put artificial brain, but whatever we can put, that would cost just to maintain the body for one day using artificial systems would cost between 7 to 11 crore rupees. So God is spending 7 to 11 crore rupees on us every day and we are asking what is God doing for me. (laughs) So that is the misfortune. So actually a wise person understands that God is doing something for me so I should serve him. But duty can often become a burden. Higher than duty is love. And that is what Bhagavatam says that Love of God is the ultimate platform of approaching God. So the Chaitanya Charitamrita goes further and describes how do we develop our love for God. So love of God is the common goal described in the different religions of the world. So there are different levels but the Vedic scriptures give actually the greatest revelation. So now is this just a sectarian claim because we are following the Vedas, so Vedas are the greatest? No, for example, in India among the colleges, IIT is considered the highest, best college. Now, that is not just because the IITians are proud. They may be proud, but that is not the reason why IIT is the best. There are objective criteria. Maybe the quality of the uh, technology that is provided, uh, the caliber of the teachers over there, or the most important is the campus recruitment afterwards, whatever criteria. So based on that, there is an objective criteria by which it is decided which university is at what level. 
so there are objective criteria by which we can understand actually that krishna consciousness is the highest in this multiple level of uh, multiple level of revelations that god has given so the sambandha abhideya and prayojan i we discuss this verse i'll just explain what does this mean although the terms may sound a little new sambandha abhideya and prayojan but the essential principle is common to everything for example if somebody wants to purchase a car so then first thing is he establishes sambandha sambandha with what okay with a car okay i want to have a car i want to develop a relationship as a possessor as a owner of a car and then a car doesn't come free so then there is abhideya abhideya is a process what is the process i have to go and earn a money earn some money or nowadays you don't earn money you take loans and you have to pay afterwards more than what we would otherwise have paid but there is abhideya and then after one gets the car and one drives in the car and then as soon as driving in the car people raise their eyes and enjoy the envy in your neighbor's eyes <laughs> that is the prayojan <laughs> so prayojan means the fruit that comes so there people think if i have a car people will admire me and i'll be happy so actually in every activity that we do there is sambandha abhideya and prayojan we decide i want to develop a relationship with a particular object or person and then we follow the process to do that and then we get the fruit but with everything except krishna the prayojan is as i discussed earlier an anticlimax is disappointing just temporary there is happiness but afterwards there is disappointment so the vedic scriptures describe very systematically all these three things sambandha with whom should we develop a relationship why what happens if i don't develop a relationship with that person and why does such a thing happen so the sambandha gyan is very systematically given similarly okay if it is understood that i have to develop a relationship with god how do i develop that relationship the process is also very as it practically clearly and powerfully delineated we'll discuss each of these attributes one by one and the prayojan when we develop love of god what happens after that that is also very graphically described so let's see this one by so now when we come to sambandha gyan so different people have sambandha with different things so there is materialism that means people are just interested in materialistic things and they want sambandha with positions possessions people now there is another thing which bhakti nath thakur calls as religious materialism religious materialism means that people say i am a religionist but the purpose of religion is to get material things and sometimes if you see most of the religions of the world they say that oh you should follow all rules and regulations so that you can go to heaven and you can enjoy like all these people who are ready to lay down their lives in the jihad you know some quranic verse has been twisted and they are told that you will be able to enjoy with 73 virgins in heaven now 73 virgins they think oh such great enjoyment that is their motivation there is no love for allah in it there is only love for that which is people love here also so actually there is there are some there are the materialistic people who market materialism of this world and there are religious people who market materialism of the next world 
so actually there is no change in the ultimate values it is the same thing if you see whether it is uh, the islamic or the christian revelation it's all how you will enjoy in heaven you know where is poor god in heaven nobody knows <laughs> so this person will be this terrorist supposed to be he kills somebody and then he goes and he is supposed to enjoy with virgins and what is god supposed to do god is supposed to supply her of virgins <laughs> such a strange idea so it's just a uh, religious materialism and then after that there is scientism scientism means people say oh actually there is nothing that exists the only thing that exists that is particles hadrons protons mesons <laughs> and then you ask them okay how does a meson develop a attractive attraction for cadbury chocolate <laughs> there is no explanation why does a mother love a child oh because some chemicals are secreted in the brain fine well if your mother had done like that with you if your mother had said that your love her love for you was just some chemical she would never have loved you and then you would not have proposed such a theory you would not have lived to propose such a theory so it's actually science is useful in its own way but it is very insufficient as a means to understanding the world it doesn't tell us whom to develop a relationship with and then of course there's impersonalism you know impersonalism is you know if you ask people where did everything come from so some people say everything came from nothing which is illogical and some people say everything came from something and that something was scientists will say that was a that was a bang and where did that bang come from that came from other bang and that came from where oh that came from another bank there's a parampara of banks <laughs> <laughs> so the parampara we believe in a parampara of gurus you believe in a parampara of banks <laughs> so they have this theory of the eternally rebounding universe so there is a bank and there is a crunch and there is a bank and there is a crunch this strange it's just uh, imagination run wide but if you ask the um, impersonalists so The, if you ask the where did everything come from to the materialists they will say oh everything came from nothing or everything came from bang if you ask the devotees everything came from god if you ask the impersonalists where did everything come from they have a brilliant answer actually everything doesn't exist only <laughs> so nothing exists and nothing came from nothing <laughs> so actually then if you ask them does your logic exist says no my logic also doesn't exist then i reject your logic <laughs> so it's actually very very superficial then the bhakti explains that actually our sambandh has to be developed with god so now although all the many religions of this world talk about god but there's a great difference sorry so now you know um in the abrahamic religions abrahamic means uh, judaism christianity and islam there is mention that we should develop love for god but there is very little description of god so in the renaissance period that's 1450 centuries at that time in the catholic religion they made huge churches to glorify god and michelangelo was one of the sculptors prominent sculptors at that time he was primarily a painter but he was versatile so he was told in one of the biggest ch- uh, churches that of the sistine chapel that you make a sculpture of god giving out his grace to man so then he started out making the putting the different stories of the old testament in the um, in the walls and the roofs of the 
Sai Shapel. And then finally, he had to make this particular picture of God extending out his grace to man. So Michelangelo would normally portray man as the prototype Adam. I mean, the young, muscular, handsome. So then he did the whole painting of man, the sculpting of man. And then, now he had to make the sculpting of God. But when he was supposed to start, he asked the priest over there, the father, what does God look like? He had no idea. Then they went up to the bishop and they went right all the way up to the Pope. I think it was Pope Innocent II at that time, who was asked. But they had no idea. And then finally they did their own reasoning and they said, if God is the father of everyone, God must be the oldest person. And then they depicted God as an old person. So this is the picture that is actually there in the Sistine Chapel. So the personality on the right is supposed to be God. And the personality on the right, uh, left is supposed to be man. Now a simple question arises here. So, with all due respect to the teachings of Jesus Christ, but he came and taught upon time, place, circumstance, and he clearly said, there's much that I have to tell, but you have not the ears to hear. So, there he didn't give much revelation about God's personality. So, what happens is that this became the defining image of first the Renaissance, the Reformation, and then the scientific revolution. And essentially, what happened in European history? Because man is more attractive than God, we don't know what God looks like. So, man became the center of uh, the world. And essentially, if you see, what has happened in modern society, we say, no, there is no God, but then who, who is in charge? Yeah, we are in charge. You know, We can go to moon, we can go to Mars, we can go to wherever we want, and we can do what we want. So, there are companies which are selling land on the moon. And there are people who are purchasing the land. <laughs> so, you know, first of all, who gave them the land on the moon? So the idea is that God is not there. We are the proprietor of everything, you know. Bhoktaram yagyatapasam sarvaloka maheshwaram. Everything belongs to me. So essentially what happened, that when there is not a sufficiently attractive revelation of God, then people put God aside and they bring man in the center. And that's how, that's what has happened in modern society. That's why we see that religion has declined to a large extent. And what has come in is worship of man. Worship of man, we don't, some people make deities of man also in worship, but the idea is the human intelligence, the human ego is what is to be worshipped. Humans are the greatest. So this happened because there is no revelation of God. Now you compare this conception of God with the Vedic conception. Now you see, there's Krishna who is all attractive and he reciprocates love with so many of his devotees in so many different ways. So now, but unfortunately, um, India is uh, modern India is a product of a historical tragedy. What is that historical tragedy? At first, India was ruled by Muslims, and the Muslims destroyed many temples. But when the Britishers came, they did not destroy any temples. They they destroyed the faith that made people go to the temples by misinterpreting the scriptures. So what happened when they came to India, and they have the idea of God as a very fierce, old, stern person. And they came to India, they came to Mathura, they came to all these places, and they saw, you know, Krishna, this particular picture is there, small boy, stealing, doing something. 
stealing butter. I says, who is this? This is God. God. And what is he doing? Stealing butter. Stealing butter? God. He just got a complete intellectual short circuit. <laughs> just couldn't make any head or tail out of what, how can God, first of all, God is a small child and then he steals butter? God should be imperfectly moral. How can he steal? So, then what some Indians did was, actually you are correct, God cannot be immoral. So, actually all these stories, they are just metaphorical. Actually, you know what God is? God is the impersonal, all-pervading light. It is just temporary forms of that particular God. So, Indians thought that we have to defend ourselves from the criticism and then they didn't know how to defend. They said, oh, actually, what the Vedic literature teaches? Impersonalism. So, I'll come back to impersonalism a little later. But, you know, the Vedic understanding of God is not only God is very attractive, but actually Vedic literature also describes how God acts. What does God do in the spiritual world? So, the concept of Leela, you know, God performing pastimes, is something very extraordinary. It has no parallels in any of the religious traditions of the world. So, what exactly is this concept of Leela? Now, so Krishna is actually the hero in the Leela. But Krishna, now the, any movie, any drama that is done, is done directed by a director. So, Yoga Maya is the director who directs the drama. But then people say, oh, if Krishna is being directed by someone, he is not under control. He is not in control. How is he God? Yes, Krishna is not in control because he is being directed by Yoga Maya. But Yoga Maya is directing him, him according to a script. And the script is written by Krishna. <laughs> so, in this way, Achintya Beheda Bhed. Krishna is simultaneously in control and not in control. He is not in control, he is absorbed. In fact, Vishnachakrivi Thakur in his uh, Bhavartha Deepika, he analyzes this very beautifully. He says, some people say that, like, some people get this question, that, oh, if God, um, if God knows everything, then why do I need to pray to him? No, God knows what I want. Why should I trouble him with my prayers? You know, when the devotees were there in Navadweep, at that time they would do loud kirtans. And the neighbors would say, you don't know any basic philosophy? He says, God is there in your heart. You don't have to scream so loudly for God to hear. He can hear when you pray. But actually if you scream, what will happen? Mahavishnu is sleeping. He will wake up. And he will destroy the world. So that was a strange idea. But, so they say, oh, God knows everything. Why do you need to pray to God? But actually, no, prayer is not a substitute for a shopping list. <laughs> People think, what is the purpose of praying? Just take a list and go to God. That is the idea of prayer. But we see in the Vedic literature, the Brahma Sameta, there is no request at all from Brahma of anything. Just glorifying the Lord. So when we pray to God, the purpose of prayer is not just to ask God for something. But the purpose of prayer is many folds. One is that we can actually experience the presence of God. We can experience life in the presence of God. We can understand things from Krishna's perspective. And then we can get the strength to do Krishna's will. So, prayer is for a far higher purpose. So, some people say that, oh, God knows everything. God is Sarvagya, so why pray to Him? Yeah, He knows, but we should develop a relationship with Him. 
And some other people say, oh, God is absorbed in his pastimes with his devotees. So will he hear my prayers? No, God is, Krishna is there with the gopis and the gopas and all of them. Will Krishna hear my prayers? So some people say, actually, Krishna can hear the prayers because uh, Krishna is just doing a natak. Krishna is actually just doing a drama. But if you say Krishna is doing a drama, why does Krishna do Leela? You know, sometimes people say that God is all-powerful. So God is all-powerful. So that doesn't mean that, you know, sometimes in the slums there is some gunda who is all-powerful in that particular slum. And then everybody has to go down and bow to him and give him the hafta. So, God is not that kind of all-powerful. He's all-powerful, but he does not delight in bragging his power. He actually delights in reciprocating love with his devotees. And that's why he makes his devotees forget that he is God. And that's what there is a, a drama. So drama sometimes conveys the idea of a falsity. But it's not false. It's the highest reality. But it's called a drama because actually there is a particular reciprocation of love that is happening over there. So this is something which is quite extraordinary to understand how Krishna does Leela. He does Leela because he simply wants to reciprocate love with his devotees. And he wants everyone to forget that he is God. Just like a millionaire may sometimes come with his, all his family members and he will do a drama in which he becomes a beggar. And they will go, Kuch khane ko de do. Teen din se kuch nahi khaya hai. Usi din mein teen bar khaya hai. <laughs> but he does that. Why? Because he gets joy in that. So he doesn't like everybody uh, treating him as a boss and respecting him. He wants to reciprocate love. So that at the highest level is what Krishna does. But Krishna is completely absorbed in his pastimes with his devotees. And simultaneously, Krishna is completely available to every one of us. That is what Krishna alone can do. Nobody else can do it. Zonasradha Maharaj says, the Paramatma is the personal incarnation of Krishna for every one of us. Now, Krishna has personally come for all of us. So, Krishna is available and also he is available to all of us and he is available to uh, his devotees. So, for his devotees, he is sort of deluded. He is not aware he is God. He is Mukta. But for the sadhakas, he is Sarvagya. He knows how to plan their spiritual advancement and help them advance. So the Leela is something which is very amazing, which helps us to actually draw out our love for Krishna. So sometimes, you know, once we had a drama, uh, the title of the drama was When God Fails and Love Triumphs. When God Fails. So that was actually Krishna going as Shanti Dut. When Krishna goes as Shanti Dut, he actually fails. If God is all-powerful, can he not force what he wants? No, he doesn't force. He respects Duryodhana's free will. He says, okay, I will try to persuade you. If you don't, I respect your free will. You know, the Bhagavad Gita is not a book of commandments. The Bhagavad Gita is a book of choices. Krishna tells, choose. If you choose this, this will happen. If you choose that, that will happen. Now you decide what you want to do. So Krishna gave Arjuna the, Krishna gave Duryodhana the choice and Duryodhana made the wrong choice. And he had to bear the consequences for that. So Krishna is all-powerful. And other places he described, he displaces all-powerfulness. You know, he covers the sun uh, to, save Jaya, to save Arjuna from entering fire. Then so many other, he lifts Govardhan Hill to protect his body. So he's all-powerful. But Krishna doesn't go about displaying his all-powerfulness all the time. Because then there can be no reciprocation of law. So sometimes he displays as and when it is required for the purpose of Leela. But unfortunately, okay, before we go to the impersonalism, 
this is slightly um, hierarchical understanding which helps you know there are so many mundane literature in the world which talk about hundreds of things among them the literature that talk about god is special now among the revealed scriptures in the world the vedic scriptures are special why the vedic scriptures are directly the word of god the vedic scriptures are also called as shruti now among the shruti the smriti that means the puranas and the itihasas contain the revelation in the most accessible way the word smriti refers to that which is remembered that means the great sages heard from god they understood they realized and then they spoke so smriti is not just that which is remembered but smriti also means that which helps us remember so if we just read the shruti if we read the vedas you know we will not understand anything from the vedas but if we read the smriti then we understand clearly that actually god is a person and we have to love him now beyond the smriti there are diff- there are different puranas there are different um, itihasas there are 18 puranas many upapuranas so the vaishnava puranas are the highest why because they contain the purest revelation so basically this hierarchy is given by jiva goswami in the tatva sandarbha based on uh, based on the vedic scriptures themselves so why is it the vaishnava smriti is the highest there's a reason because you know there are shaivite puranas there are shakta puranas there are uh, vaishnava puranas so these are all, all meant for different people so jiva goswami gives an example of how the shaivite puranas do not necessarily always contain the highest truth for example in the shiva purana it is said that i offer obeisances to that law of karma because of which shiva has to wander the world carrying a skull and because of which vishnu has to take 10 incarnations in this miserable material world so what does this mean so jiva goswami gives an example he says so if somebody says alas see how intoxicating is gold in fact gold is more poisonous than poison now this is a rhetorical statement rhetorical statement mean you no know, poison if we take we will die gold we are not going to die by that but there is a particular thing to be emphasized over there what is the thing to be emphasized that be very careful when dealing with gold because it will intoxicate you it will poison you so the analogy is given here for a rhetorical purpose not for a factual purpose so people who are in tamaguna they don't believe in any law of karma they don't believe that there is any law by which i will be punished and even if there is some law they think that law is just like the law of this world so if there is a laws of this world what happens you just become a bigger bigger you become more a big politician more big wealthy person if you acquire power if you acquire wealth then you can escape the law so people think that similarly law of karma will be like that if i can become very powerful then i can escape the law so for such people it is told no you cannot escape the law and therefore such a statement is given this statement is not true so that's why lord shiva tells uh, kartikeya in the skanda puran that actually whatever is said in the shaiva puranas oh if it is if it contradicts the vaishnava puranas then it should not be accepted because the vaishnava puranas contain the highest truth so the vedic scriptures are very accommodating they accommodate all kinds of people but there is the highest level given now among the vaishnava puranas the shrimad bhagavatam is the highest why is it the highest because it gives us the highest gift it teaches how to develop love for god and nothing else in the shrimad bhagavatam the 10th canto the dasham skanda is the highest the shrimad bhagavatam has 335 chapters out of which 90 chapters are there in the 10th canto itself 
and that's why actually by the time shukadev goswami starts the 10th canto no he is actually through only half way of the bhagavatam so the 10th canto come nine cantos go through only half the way and this 10th canto contains the pastimes of krishna and there also there is the vrindavan pastimes and the dwarka pastimes dwarka mathura pastimes vrindavan pastimes are the most intimate and in the dasham sugandha whatever is given there that is expanded further by the goswamis so so many books written by them anandavan champu gopal champu and shri prabhupada is still the essence of all of them and brought it in so this is what this is a summary of what we just discussed so actually there is a systematic hierarchy and the hierarchy is not based on just some biased opinion it is based on a systematic understanding of what is revealed within the scripture now so shri prabhupada wrote in that prayer absolute is ancient thou has proved impersonal calamity thou has removed so impersonalism is a calamity calamity means a great disaster why is it a disaster because when we hear the beautiful pastimes of krishna for example when the beautiful pastimes of krishna actually attract our love towards him but if we go by the if the, the impersonalists uh, what they say is these pastimes are all temporary and the pastimes are the mean by which you can be attracted to krishna and come out of the material world but unfortunately the impersonalists say these these pastimes themselves are a product of product of maya so that which is the means to come out of this material world they say that is the product of the material world it's like somebody comes along and says that is the medicine he calls it a poison then what will happen then people will never be cured so shri prabhupada was often very strong about impersonalists for this main reason that actually different people have a right to believe whatever they want but if what is right is portrayed by them as wrong not only as wrong but as a product of illusion then innocent people get completely misled so impersonalism that the idea that actually ultimately i am only god i was an atheist till i discovered i was god so that is the idea of the impersonalist actually i am only god there's nothing else there's nobody else there's another impersonalist who would say that actually i have there are so many gurus who come and say i am god but i have not come to tell you i am god i have come to tell you you are god you are god so these are all very superficial ideas if prabhupada would say if you are god then why do you have to run to respond to nature why do you have to go to a doctor why do you have to grow old but people don't think of these things and they say that oh actually my growing old is my leela oh very good we are growing old is your leela then leela is actually something which is voluntarily accepted for enjoyment then why are you becoming crippled why are you having digestive problems that is actually not something voluntarily accepted for enjoyment that is forcibly imposed for punishment so that's not leela actually that's maya not leela so unfortunately in india because of the idea that actually there is no god ultimately we have to merge into god because of that you know people don't take shelter of krishna you know many times people come and pray in the temple but what are they praying actually they say all this you know this prayer is all temporary ultimately i have to merge with god so unfortunately because of this uh, not only do people uh, not understand the highest truth but they don't get any taste in their bhakti so we discuss about sambandha 
now let's come to abhideya abhideya means the process of developing the relationship now okay once i understand that i have to develop my love for god now how do i actually develop love for god imagine somebody says actually you just have to desire to love god and then you will love god is will power enough if somebody says okay i have some bad habits i'll give up the bad habits my will power the fourth canto of the bhagavatam describes how lust anger these are all diseases of the mind so now if i have a disease can i cure the disease just by will power you know if somebody has loose motion he says by my will power i will not respond <laughs> i will not respond and i will make my will power stronger and stronger and stronger oh, no however strong you make your will power it's useless <laughs> so the idea or somebody has got cough you know i will not cough my will power is very strong well what will happen to your your heart doesn't have so much power it'll burst whatever coughing is there so many many people who actually want to develop love for god also they don't know how to develop love for god because no process is available for them now there are so before coming to krishna consciousness i also used to read a lot of spiritual books and the spiritual books had two characteristics they were very interestingly written and they were very inconclusively written <laughs> inconclusively okay this is good this is good but what should i do no that you can do whatever you want to do but then how how do i get transformed by that so unfortunately the process for developing love for god is not taught in any of the scriptures very very brief understanding is given you know actually the idea is and because there is no knowledge given people think just by my will power i will become good but it doesn't work like that yes will power is important if if somebody has loose motions will power is important but the will power has to be used to follow a process what is that process the process is that the doctor you have to go to a doctor and the doctor will tell this is your prescriptions these are your prescriptions do's and don'ts and the will power has to be used to follow that follow the do's and don'ts and then there will be some cure but just raw will power cannot actually change very deep rooted behavioral tendencies lust anger greed envy pride and illusion you know they are very very difficult to give up just by will power we might become a little better but actually very soon people relapse to their old ways so because there is no abhideya abhideya means a process given by which people can transfer their love from man to god so what happens people just get lost his holiness danvir maharaj has written a very amazing book of his experiences while preaching in israel the title of the book is if attacked i will chant hari krishna so he was in israel for preaching and that time a war broke out between the arab states and israel and because america was supporting israel so the american government declared that all american citizens in israel will have to join the army now danir maharaj said actually i am there for missionary purposes he said no no you also have to join whatever so then he was very intelligent so he consulted some devotee they consulted a lawyer now in the american law there is a clause that you know if somebody if a soldier is a religious person then he should be given time for his religious practices 
so then he went into the arvi cantonment and he went in he was not a sanyasi he was one one prastha at that time so he went in saffron kati kurta who are you his, his boss asked him so um, the colonel asked me said you know i i am dan so and so oh he says i have been told to i have been drafted into the army he says you cannot join the army in distress he says no i am hari krishna as per my religious right i have to wear this dress he says no 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 you have religious rights but not you have to wear our dress he said okay so then he said but uh, i need time for my prayers he said yeah yeah he thought at least he is changing his dress that is good enough otherwise what okay how much time do you need he said 6 uh, hours <laughs> he says what he said yes in the morning i wake up and i'll do mangala aarti then narsiha aarti then tulsi aarti then i'll do japa then i have my small duty then vidarshan aarti then we guru puja then then because there will be no audience so i'll be the speaker i'll be the audience for the bhagavatam class <laughs> then at noon time there will be noon aarti then evening is sandhya aarti then narsiha aarti and then geeta class so he said but i cannot give you 6 hours said, no that is my right you have to give me and then he had to give so then every morning all the other soldiers would wake up and they would go for march pass and maharaj would wake up and chant hari krishna and do mangal aarti then other soldiers started complaining they said you know you know we are going in the heat and doing this march and this person is just ringing the bells <laughs> then after that um, so he decided that actually you know this is not good so his actually maharaj was very polite and very respectful very firm but he was very polite and respectful and his colonel described developed some respect and attraction for him so he told him i will give you a separate room where you can ring your bells privately nobody will see you <laughs> so he was saved from that also then uh, because israel is a jewish country primarily so there was a jewish rabbi over there so the other soldiers complained to the rabbi and then the rabbi called his colonel uh, and he told him i have heard that you have given this hari krishna 6 hours for his religious uh, prayer religious activity in the whole history of the american army even the most devout jew has not been given more than 30 minutes how can you give 6 hours so now he was actually quite he this uh, this colonel he was quite impressed by danger maharaj and he did not like this rabbi at all so he told him if a jew was given 6 hours what would he do <laughs> <laughs> so he said i am seeing this dan you know all the 6 hours he is doing something <laughs> he is not sleeping <laughs> you know he is ringing some bell he is shaking his head he is shaking his hand he is speaking something he's doing something and he's doing it quite seriously so actually even if time is given there is no abhideya given in the other place <laughs> what will you do for 6 hours now the muslims chant their namaz and they do it some of those who are devout they do it nationally for five times in a day but you know if they are told to chant throughout the day there's nothing there for them to chant so actually the abhideya is given very wonderfully anyway i'll just complete dandev mahara story so then uh then he was allowed 6 hours for his prayers and then he was told that he had to learn to shoot so they called him to the mm, training where you had to shoot guns so he learned to shoot so then while they were calling him then at that time he he was not very interested he just started walking he said where are you going he said i'm going for a walk he said no this is a class you cannot go for a walk 
said, okay, he sat down. And then the whole class got over. He said, sir, I have a question. Now everybody could see that he was not interested in the class. Now everybody is interested in what question he has. <laughs> so then, sir, he said, uh, you told us that when we should shoot, we should shoot to kill. So they, they had told, you know, the, the army had told, you know, when you shoot the enemy, you should shoot in the heart or in the chest or in the head so that the enemy dies. Otherwise, a wounded enemy will attack and kill you back. So you should shoot to kill. He said, yes. Everybody was hearing. Uh, whom do we kill? The body or the soul? <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, uh, the instructor, he was a colonel, he said, uh, we kill the body. No, we kill the soul. I mean, we kill the body. Uh, class dismissed. <laughs> and he said, Dan, come here. He said, tell me, whom do we kill? <laughs> and then he gave one hour class to him about the difference between the body and the soul. <laughs> and then after that, the local media got the news. There is a Hare Krishna in the army. Then they came to interview him. And then they saw him and they asked him, you know, if attacked, what will you do? So then he replied, if attacked, I will chant Hare Krishna. <laughs> <laughs> so, that is the name of the book. <laughs> if attacked, I will chant Hare Krishna. And that came on all the Israeli newspapers at that time. And then, you know, then actually the chief of the army, he read it and he said, what is this? You know, our army is meant for people who are going to fight, not only those who are going to chant Hare Krishna. So, so then he sent the order and Maharaj was released from the army. <laughs> but he was in the army for one and a half months and within one and a half months, his boss and his boss, both of them became devotees. Now both of them are initiated disciples chanting 16 rounds. <laughs> So, you know, Krishna consciousness is very dramatic, very adventurous. Hmm. So, the point I was making is that there is no description of Abhideya. What is the process to be followed? How to transform one's heart? So, actually you should pray to God. But what to pray? How to pray? How long to pray? You know, there's nothing is told. Now, in India, there are many teachers who, should, who, say, who say that you should chant the names of God. But again, they don't give any prescription. What happens? Chant whenever you can. Jabbi sabay melo da job karo. So, kya hota hai? Kabhi sabay milta hai nahi hai. So, because there is no prescription given, so even if people genuinely want to develop love for God, they don't know the means by which to develop love for God. Even if they, are, they genuinely want, I want to transform my heart. But it's not just by willpower, it's, just, it's not just by desire. Desire is important. But desire has to be coupled by a process. So, that is actually what the Gaudiya Vishnu Sampradaya has given us. It has given us a very systematic process. And, you know, when Srila Prabhupada went to America, he went and he was first in the Lower East Side, in the Bowery, among the hippies, and he would invite them to chant Hare Krishna. And they all would chant very happily. And then, once he would start class, almost like half of the people would go away. But a few would sit and hear. And then he would talk about how, if you are actually going to 
experience spiritual life, then you have to not only chant Hare Krishna, you have to follow the regulated principles. And that was like a very bitter pill for them to swallow. So, one time, some um, very popular musicians, a popular musical group over there, uh, called the Fugs, they came for the program. And they also liked the chanting of the Hare Krishna. They were also playing with the music. And the devotees were, the early devotees at that time, they were very happy to see. And uh, then Prabhupada started speaking on the illusion of material pleasure. And how if one wants to practice spiritual life, one has to give up sense gratification. And the, these musicians, the fucks, all their songs were about sense gratification. The wildest forms of sense gratification. And you know, they couldn't believe their eyes and ears. You know, sense gratification is the goal of our life. Kamoka bhoga parama eta avaditi nishchitaha. Lord Krishna described in the 16th chapter, our 12th was that the demoniac people have decided, ascertained beyond doubt, nishchitaha. What? Sense gratification is the prime necessity of life. Prime necessity. So, parama. So, they could, you know, how can this Swami commit aparad towards sense gratification? <laughs> oh, this is our worshipable deity. How can he commit aparadam? And they just walked away and they never came back. And the devotees were very disappointed. And they went and told Prabhupada, Prabhupada, here in the lower east side, among the hippies, now it is not very strategically wise to talk ill about sense gratification. And Prabhupada was grave. He said, I have not come here to please the Americans. I have come here to please Krishna by repeating his message. So, when I read this for the first time, it was, I read this several times, but it struck me very much. Then, uh, about maybe four or five years ago when I read this again, it struck me, because I read the whole Lila Amrut, and on one side you see how much Shila Prabhupada struggled to actually go to America. You know, all alone, without any money, suffering heart attacks. And, you know, practically speaking, Shila Prabhupada's boarding the Jaladuta alone at the age of 69 to go to a distant land is one of the most courageous acts in human history. One of the most courageous acts for an old person to go. Recently, the CNN, you know, they made a list of uh, people who are achievers who started their achievements post-50. They made 100 people and Srila Prabhupada is among the top over there. A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami. So, he started an organization at the age of 69. So, all the post-50 are just, you know, beyond 50, 51, 52, 53. But Prabhupada started at 69. So, it is, so he, he's obviously uh, had a desire that people follow the process that he was teaching. Now, otherwise, why would he go to America? Srila Prabhupada, if he just wanted to write books, for, for writing initially the books was difficult, but 1962, 63, 64, he got the three volumes, the first to published. And once they were published, no, Lal Bahadur Shastri recommended the books. At that time, Zakir uh, Hussain, the president of America, of India, he recommended the books. And then, for Prabhupada, the funds were flowing. If he just wanted to be a writer, you know, for him, he could have very easily written many, many books. Because he had got recommendations of so many big people. And actually, when he went to Somti Moraji, and she told her, you know, please, allow me to go abroad. So, he said, give, me a, give me a place on your ship. So, he told him, Swamiji, you are so old. America is so cold. <laughs> how will you live there you know she was completely reluctant and then she said you are like my father you know I cannot let my father go to a distant country where he will he'll die alone 
She said, if you want to speak Bhagavatam, you come to my house. I will hear Bhagavatam from you every day. Now, Prabhupada was not just interested in speaking. He was interested in transforming people's hearts. So, Prabhupada told her, that if you really consider me my father, your father, then will you not help your father to fulfill his spiritual master's mission? And when she saw that he was so determined, she agreed to let him go. But then, the point was, Prabhupada struggled immensely to go to America to give a message by which people would follow a process. But then the very message that he was giving was driving people away. So this is a tremendous apparent contradiction. On one side you are taking so much efforts to go and tell people to do something. But what you are telling them to do is something which will make most of them go away. If if you want people to follow something, then tell something which they can follow easily and they will become very popular. So why was Prabhupada doing like this? On one side he is struggling to preach, on the other side... His content of his preaching was such that most people would go away. In fact, several of the other spiritual teachers at that time, they appreciated it. You know, Bhaktivedanta Swami is teaching very pure yoga. But what was it? Now, actually, Srila Prabhupada was like a, as we are talking about disease, disease cannot be cured by willpower. So, Srila Prabhupada was like a super compassionate doctor, supremely compassionate doctor. As a doctor, normally you go to a doctor and ask him for some medicine, he will charge a lot of money to give it. And then sometimes you call at night. If you are sick, the doctor gets just angry. Why are you disturbing me at night? But, uh, you know, where is a doctor who will actually himself go to the patient and beg to the patient, please take this medicine and give the medicine free also. So, you know, imagine a hospital where you get the medicine and along with the medicine you get free food. Free food. So that was what Prabhupada was doing. You know, he was in America, he was cooking for the hippies, he was serving them prasad, he was washing their plates. So that they will chant Hare Krishna. So he's just a compassionate doctor that actually he is himself going and giving the medicine to people. When Shila Prabhupada is on Jaldut in America, when he reaches America, you know, at that time for normal Indians, the Indian mindset is America is like the land of dreams. And it's such a dazzling sight. The tall buildings, fast cars, you know, very fashionable people. So Prabhupada did not see all this. If we see Prabhupada's Bhagavati Markini Dharma, what did he say? He says that Oh, actually, oh, he did not see prosperous, fashionable Americans. He saw forgetful, suffering souls. He did not see skyscrapers and fast cars. He saw the modes of passion and ignorance, making people run around and do all sorts of crazy things. So the Prabhupada could see that people are suffering and he wanted to give them the medicine. So he's a very compassionate doctor. But although he's a compassionate doctor, he is not a populist doctor. Populist doctor means, suppose somebody has, suppose people have diabetes and a patient comes along and he says, doctor says, okay, you have to stop, you have to take this medicine and you have to stop sugar. And there's another doctor, he says, okay, you take this medicine and you can stop sugar if you want, if you want you can take sugar. So what will happen? Which doctor will become more popular? Second doctor, naturally. You know, everybody will say, oh, this doctor, you don't have to follow anything. You can eat as much as we want. There's one clinic just started, you know. Get slim. Eat whatever you want and still get slim. It's just a false promise. So now what happens? If such a doctor is there, the doctor says that, you know, you can eat sugar if you want. So then, the doctor is happy because he gets a lot of patients. The patient is happy because he doesn't have to follow any rules. So wonderful, isn't it? Doctor is happy, patient is happy. But no, the patient's body is killing him from within. 
and eventually it will come out so this is a populist doctor populist doctor is who wants many many customers and for the sake of the customers he says okay you don't have to follow any rules so shila prabhupad was not a populist doctor no he actually wanted to cure people and he knew what it takes to cure people and therefore he insisted not only on the do's but also on the don'ts and when the do's and don'ts are followed then there is miraculous transformation amazing transformation takes place in the hearts and lives of people recently sold in the chandramouli maharaj has brought out a beautiful book called the holy jail the holy jail so the, the cover is you know there is a jail and two hands are coming out of the jail and the hands of the prisoner are holding a bhagavad gita and in the bhagavad gita there is a picture of krishna glancing compassionately on the prisoner so this book documents how people in the scorning jail preaching in india and america and several other parts of the world but primarily america and india how people are getting transformed in amazing ways by the practice of krishna consciousness so uh, it's so many amazing stories are there so some stories you know one of our devotees sarvabhoom prabhu he had gone to a the tihar you know tihar is india's biggest jail so now they have made a special youth jail tihar youth jail why they found that young people when you put them in jail with hardcore criminals they also become hardcore so instead of reforming people it deforms people so decided let us have all young people together in a separate jail so then when they went to so when he was invited to this jail for a program and all these young people you know most criminals don't think they have done anything wrong they think actually my circumstances forced me to do it durudhan also said the same thing now after great introspection i cannot see the slightest fault in anything that i have done so they don't feel that they so they were very resentful frustrated who is the sadhu we are not interested in hearing but then sarom pro started the class and he said he spoke something and he spoke that they all cheered and they clapped and heard the class and after that they were they uh, there was kirtan and the kirtan became so ecstatic that is there was the there was the jailer and the prisoners they were all dancing together and now actually in the tihar youth jail there are four young people who are chanting hari krishna 16 rounds and they have morning program inside the jail so what was that first thing that he spoke he spoke that all of you are not offenders we are offenders because we did not give you this knowledge earlier so this is actually a devotee's compassion that a devotee doesn't see other people as sinful no you are a sinner and you are going to go to hell unless you obey me no actually i was also sinful i was saved by my spiritual master and i want to share what i have got with others so the point is there are amazing stories of transformation which take place why because if the process is followed the do's and don'ts then there is cure but otherwise there are so many people who say that we are spiritualists you know we have this guru we have this we have that but you know that they are disciples for 25 years and 25 years they still are smoking and they are still are drinking tea and they're not able to give up anything why because there is no transformation of the heart you know bhakti is quite scientific bhakti paresha anubhava virakti ranyatra cha when actually there is bhakti what happens there is para isha anubhav that there is actually para para is supreme or transcendental isha is god anubhav is experience so bhakti is the process that gives us experience of god the experience of god cannot be got by any material means now people can come and glare at the deities they'll get no experience of god because there is no bhakti 
Sometimes when we devotees do kirtan, you know, devotees are in ecstasy and other people are in agony. It's glaring. How can you be so happy? What right do you have to be so happy? We are miserable. You are also destined to be miserable like us. So why? The same holy name is going in their ears and the same holy name is going in devotees' ears. But because there is bhakti in the heart, there is paraisha nubhav. And where there is no bhakti, there is no paraisha nubhav. Now, some people can claim that, oh, we also get tears. We also cry. We are also getting paraisha nubhav. But then, you know, people, nowadays there are so many television programs. So there is some same Ramayana going on. And your tayu dies. And then Lord Ram comes and does his funeral ceremony. And people, oh, they cry tears. And then, they switch the channel. And then Sachin Tendulkar gets out for a zero. And they also cry tears. <laughs> so, this is not bhakti. Because bhakti pareshanubhava viraktir anyatracha. We become detached from other experiences. So, the internal symptom of bhakti is that there is paraishanubhava. We experience God within. And the external symptom is viraktir anyatracha. When actually it becomes detached from other things. So, this happens only when the abhideya is followed properly. So in Krishna consciousness, we have the means by which Abhideya is, we can work it out. So, let's go quickly a little bit ahead with Abhideya to understand how Krishna consciousness transforms our heart and transforms our life. You know, uh, what is it that determines our behavior? So there are many factors, among them five are primary. Some people say that, oh, some people are short-tempered. Why am I short-tempered? Oh, it's my genes are like that. You know, in America nowadays, this is the ultimate escape way for criminals. Somebody gets angry and commits a murder and the evidence is strong. And what the lawyer says? Actually, it's in his genes to become angry. What can you do? They go to a neurologist and they get a certificate. And then instead of going, instead of going to the jail, he's transferred to a mental asylum. And then he comes out of there. So the idea is that, uh, they say that, oh, my genes are like that. Yeah, now, our genes do push us to behave in a particular way. But they don't force us. They don't force us. Now the animals, they are programmed entirely by their genes, to a large extent. Uh, the lower the species, the less their freedom. The higher the species, the more the freedom. And uh, for, apart from our genes, we also have our family. You know, the upbringing that we get during our childhood, that also determines our behavior. Then beyond that, our association. Sometimes say some some children may have very pious parents and they are protected, but then they go into the hostel. And in hostel, there is ragging. Ragging is the perverted version of initiation. <laughs> you know, initiation means it brings us into pure life, but in ragging, it's initiation into sinful life. So people are told to do all those things. And what happens? Because of bad association, they become completely spoiled. And the environment or association. And beyond that, there is free will. All of us. Somebody might be in bad association also, but still if it is determined, I don't want to become bad, he, will, he can protect himself. Beyond that, there is God's grace. So, if you see among these five factors, uh, which of these are not changeable now? The first and the second. The genes, actually we get our genes by our past karma. So, if we are the genetic nature which determines our behavior, that is actually coming from past karma. We can't change that. And the way we are brought up, we can't change that also. The remaining three, we can change. And among these three, actually, the easiest to change is our association. Changing our free will is quite difficult. Imagine if we decide that I want to wake up in the morning. 
because I want to do chanting. And then, you are, if you decide I will stay with people who wake up late, then what will happen? No matter how determined I am, the other people will determine that they will not sleep till late night. And if I wake up, before, I, before the alarm wakes me up, they will switch off the alarm. And when, if there is association not favorable, to use our free will is not so easy. It becomes much, much more difficult. And Chaitanya Charita Amrath, Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami compares the association of devotees to a walking stick. He says, Sukrupa Yashtidane na Santa Santwa Avalambanam. Durgame Pathime Andhasya Skalat Padam Gater Muhu. He says, My path is very difficult and I am also blinded. So repeatedly I am slipping and falling. Therefore, O great devotees, please give me the walking stick of your mercy. So, today morning only when I was coming here, my walking stick got stolen. So then I was just pondering on this verse. So actually what happens, without a walking stick also, a person can walk. But two things. One is, the walking is slower and any time one can fall down. That's what happens if we are not with devotees. You know, the progress becomes slower. Start chanting Hare Krishna. And you complete and complete, complete. And then you wonder, this is Mala have 108 beads or 1008 beads? It's <laughs> <laughs> not getting over only. <laughs> so, sometimes one round may take 15 minutes. Or sometimes one round takes 3 minutes. Because we miss, we fall so much in love with the Hare Krishna Mahamantra that before it comes out only it goes inside. <laughs> so, so what happens without association? Progress is slower and the chance of falling away is much greater. So therefore, if we change our association, then it's much easier to change our free will. And if we, cha- uh, if we actually use our free will properly, then all of us can get Krishna's mercy. And once Krishna's mercy comes, what is Krishna's mercy? Prabhupada explains not something magical. That you know, somebody says that, oh, my guru can give you, give you my, my guru can give me electric shock. Can you give an electric shock? Yes, come, there is an electric socket. How much shock have you got? <laughs> you know, the purpose of the guru is not to give shock. Already material life is giving so much shocks. The purpose of the guru is to teach us how to save ourselves from the shocks. How to transcend the shocks. So people have a very superficial idea of what mercy means. Actually, what is the real mercy? The real mercy is that we experience satisfaction in Krishna consciousness. Then we don't search for anything higher. So now, if we see, this is a little, I'll just quickly rush through, this will take some time. But what I was telling is how um, this Abhideya is most clearly given within the Vedic literature. That is the point which is going on. But within the Vedic literature also, it is in Gaudiya Vaishnavism that Abhideya is most clearly given. So different acharyas have defined bhakti differently. So Ramanuja defines bhakti as satatam smritir vishnu, continuous recollection of God. And he says there are two levels of bhakti, sadhana and fun. Madhava says that, Madhacharya says that actually bhakti is a strong emotion of love accompanied by the knowledge of God's majesty. Nimbarka Mahacharya says that it's like a special kind of love. And then Vallabhacharya says also it's also kind of love. So they all basic idea is what is bhakti? Bhakti is we remember God with love. But Jeev Goswami gives an entirely different understanding. Based on the instructions that were given to Rupa Goswami, Sanadana Goswami, Jeev Goswami describes that bhakti is not just a state of our mind. Bhakti is actually Radharani. It's the essence of God's internal potency of bliss. 
which is the most important potency of God. So, bhakti is not just something which we think and we get bhakti. You know, Vishwanath Chakravathakur in his commentary to the Shritistava, the prayers of the personified Vedas in the 10th canto, he described that the conditioned mind can never think of God. Because our mind is material. And if we say that, oh, Krishna is like a bluish black, uh, Krishna is a young man with a bluish cloud complexion. What we do is, we think of a bluish black cloud and we think of a young man. And we superimpose the two together. A superimposition of two material objects cannot produce the supreme personality of God. So, he says that actually the conditioned soul cannot think of God. But, when the conditioned soul, according to the scripture, tries to meditate on the description of God, then God infuses within his heart the Ladini Shakti, the Bhakti. And then actually there is experience. Ladini, kar, ladini karaye Krishna Ananda Svadana Ladini Dwara Krishna Kare Bhaktera Poshana So Ladini Shakti has two functions. First is, it gives bliss to Krishna. And secondly, it nourishes the devotee. So, if we just do bhakti according to our mind, that is not Krishna bhakti, that is mana bhakti. Because actually, we cannot invoke Krishna by the thoughts of our mind. But it is only when we do according to scripture, then Krishna is pleased and Krishna infuses Radharani to come in our heart. So this understanding that bhakti is not just a state of our mind. Bhakti is actually the manifestation of Krishna's internal potency within our heart. This is something which is not there in even any of the Vaishnava traditions. This is a unique revelation of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And that's why Gaudiya Vaishnavism, Gaudiya Vaishnavism is, you know, we are, we are Brahma Madhav Gaudiya Vaishnava. So Gaudiya Vaishnava, sometimes people say Gaudiya refers to Bengal, Gaudadesh. That's only external understanding because Gaudiya Vaishnavism is now there all over the world. Actually what it refers to is that you know, uh, the word Gauda comes from the word Guda. Guda means jaggery. So, there is jaggery which grows in all, all over the country. Uh, but, if any of you have tasted, the jaggery in Bengal is very sweet. It is. If anybody is addicted to chocolate, you can, it can be your Vaishnava substitute for chocolate. It's so delicious. Just place it on the tongue and it melts on the tongue. Very, very delicious. So, there was Vaishnavism going on all over the country. But when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came, there was Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So there is jaggery all over the country, but there is special jaggery in Bengal. Like that, the special sweetness of bhakti is there in Gaudiya Vaishnavism because Radharani's presence is invoked. So, that's Gaudiya Vaishnavism. The sweetness is unparalleled. I'm just rushing through some things now. So now, so when we practice bhakti, it is not just that you know, we have to think of Krishna. No. Radharani has to manifest herself in our heart. Bhakti Devi has to manifest herself. And Chaitanya Charitamrita describes that what are the ways in which we can inspire Radharani, uh, the Bhakti Devi to come in our heart? These are the five things. We can recite this verse. Sadhu Sangha Nama Kirtan Bhagavata Shravana Bhagavata Shravana Mathura Vasa Shri Murti Shraddhae Sevana so, these are the five things. The association of devotees, the chanting of the holy names, the hearing of Bhagavatam, going to holy places and worshipping the deity. So, these are the five activities, very potent forms of devotional service. And if we do these activities, we can experience miraculous transformation in our hearts. And that is what Srila Prabhupada has given us in Krishna consciousness. You know, All the activities that we do, the morning program is centered on these five activities. 
and when we go for yatras we do these five activities when we come here on sunday we are doing these five activities so by this all of us can actually powerfully experience transformation of the heart and we can make very rapid spiritual advancement so this is the you very clearly delineated if i want to love god what should i do associate with devotees i chant hari krishna when we do these things anybody and everybody can become transformed so that's why it's a universal process and then of course now we now the prayojan is the last part what happens actually when we um develop our love for god so that is also revealed in the vedic scriptures now how krishna interacts with his devotees in the spiritual world and how krishna when he comes to the material world he interacts with his devotees so it's a very attractive world described you know you know in one of the books inspired by bhakti sanskrit thakur he describes how you know krishna is the supreme positive and he is he is the enjoyer and radharani the supreme negative now she is the supremely supreme enjoyed and when now the mayavadi idea is the mayavadi and the mathematical idea mathematical is also is a material version of mayavad so what is their idea if positive and negative come together you will have zero you will have static but actually from the vaishnava point of view what happens when positive and negative come together then the positive assumes the form, mood of the negative and then searches around for the positive with double energy that means what krishna he wants to taste you know what is radharani how is radharani so happy i want to know that and therefore uh, i will come as in the mood of radharani radha bhavaditi suvalam uh, radha bhavaditi suvalitam naomi krishna swarupam he comes in the form and the complexion of radharani um, now before this also at one time krishna desired in the spiritual world that you know i want to taste radharani's love so when krishna had krishna and the gopis had come for the rasleela krishna told the gopis krishna told radharani specifically said you know how is it that when i play my flute you leave everything you leave everyone and just come here if you go mad you know don't you krishna is is playing with radharani says you don't have any regard for morality you don't have any regard for what society will think so radharani also understood krishna's mood so radharani said actually i am not the culprit your flute is the culprit now your flute is so attractive that as soon as anyone hears the sound of your flute they lose all their intelligence they lose all their intelligence and they become your slaves now you are asking me uh, you are accusing me of immorality you know if i had your flute then i would make you more immoral than me acha krishna said let us try then so then krishna gave his flute to radharani and krishna gave his flute to radharani then radharani took the form of krishna and krishna took the form of radharani and then krishna started playing the flute radharani started playing the flute in the form of krishna so actually when krishna started playing the flute or radharani started singing playing the flute whatever you want to say <laughs> so <laughs> at that time you know radharani was actually very sweet and the sweetness of her flute was completely captivating in the moon the full moon was there in the sky and actually krishna had disappeared at that time they wanted to enact the holy laga so krishna was not there and radharani was playing the flute in the mood of krishna and when the full moon saw you know this extraordinary beauty 
of Radharani in the form of Krishna, the moon felt that, oh, I want to take the dust off Radharani's lotus feet. And then, now if the moon falls down, then the whole Rasalila pastime cannot take place only. So, the night will get a complete darkness. There has to be some light. So then, as the moon appeared to fall down, suddenly, Krishna came running, leaving everything. Krishna came in the form of Radharani. And when Krishna came in the form of Radharani, when the moon saw, you know, the, the beauty of Krishna as Radharani, he, he was about to fall in ecstasy, but then he froze in ecstasy. <laughs> Completely froze, not being able to move at all. And then, Radha started came running, running, running. So this is the gopi, Sarva Dharman, Paritta, Jamaam, Ekam, Sharam. They came. And then, it's a beautiful conversation. So, Radha Rani as Krishna said, Oh Krishna, why have you come in the, oh gopis, why have you come in the night like this? Did you come to see the beauty of the forest? Now you have seen it, you can go back. So, Krishna in the form of Radha Rani started rubbing his nails against the ground. He said, oh, you know why we have come. He says, we have been attracted by your flute and you have called us for performing Rasa. Then why are you leaving? Why are you speaking like this to us? And then Krishna said, oh, then they talked and then they decided to perform Rasa. Now all the gopis, they were watching and they were completely fascinated. You know, Krishna was taking on the role of Radharani so attractively and Radharani was taking on the role of Krishna so attractively that temporarily they forgot who was Krishna and who was Radharani. <laughs> and they were observing, completely lost. And then they started performing uh, Ras Leela. And then as they were performing Ras Leela, then other gopis also came along. And Krishna as Radha started stand, dancing with Radharani. Radharani as uh, with Krishna as Radharani. And then as the dancing was going on, going on, then Krishna and Radharani went to a separate place. And then the whole pastime takes place. The Radharani, Krishna says, you know, oh, I am tired. If you want to take me somewhere, please carry me along. And then Krishna says, fine. And then Krishna and Radharani disappears. Krishna as Radharani, Radharani as Krishna disappears. And then, then Krishna as Radharani starts crying. Oh Krishna, where have you gone? Where have you gone? Where have you gone? And all the other gopis come. And they say, what are you asking? He says, I don't know. Where is Krishna gone? Where is Krishna gone? Where is Krishna gone? So now, because Radharani in the mood of Krishna is thinking so intensely of Krishna, and the gopis cannot tolerate this. Now actually, um, in the Gopi Gita, in the Bhagavatam, it is described how the Gopis went deep into the forest in search of Krishna. And when they just couldn't find Krishna anywhere, they went so deep into the forest that even the moonlight was not penetrating over there. Finally, they decided, we'll come back now. So, then they came back and sat on the uh, coast of the Jamuna. And there, they started offering the famous Gopi Gita prayers. And actually, the Goswamis have analyzed, depending on the mood and the personality of each Gopi, you know, the, actually the Gopi Gita is Shri Gopya Uchu. It's in the plural, the Gopis said. But the Goswamis have analyzed which prayer is said by Laita, which prayer is said by Vishaka, which prayer is said by Tunga Vidya, which prayer is said by Radharani, like that. And uh, the whole Gopi Gita goes on. And then actually the whole Gopi Gita is a very beautiful meter in the first syllable and the last syllable. First syllable of the, uh, one line and it's First level of the next half line. Jayati te dhikam janmana vraja jaja shrayata indira shashvadatrahi shasha daita drishyatam dikshutavakas So dada. So it's all beautifully rhyming. One of the most beautiful poetic compositions 
is there in the gopi geet and all the gopis offer intense prayers and uh, the last prayer is actually the gopis are initially asking krishna to come back because we are suffering from not seeing you but the last prayer is completely selfless we just pray yatte sujacharanam buruham staneshu bhita shanai priya dadimai karkasheshu they pray that you know krishna when we think that you have gone deep into the forest and you have gone barefoot and your bare feet will be falling on the thorns and the pebbles and the twigs of vrindavan and they will get pierced thinking of this our heart is getting pierced so for that sake you come back and then and krishna hears that prayer actually from the poetic point of view all the earlier verses are very poetic this verse is a different meter that the gopis intensity comes out and you know all the, their intense devotion comes out and they offer this prayer and then krishna reappears so if you see the gopi geet there are ras panchadhyay five chapters are there so the, there is action in the first and second chapters and there is action in the fourth and fifth chapters in the first chapter krishna is playing the flute and coming calling the gopi second chapter the gopis come and they discuss and there is just the starting of the ras leela and there is the disappearance of krishna and the third chapter there is a prayers and the fourth chapter then again when krishna comes back the gopis and krishna have a long discussion gopis say krishna what kind of cheater are you how can you leave us and go away we have left everything and come for you and krishna said i only wanted to intensify your love for me and in the fifth chapter is they perform the ras leela dance so if you see from the point of view of action there is no action in the third chapter but actually there is a explosion of action in the third chapter that action is in the hearts of the gopis their hearts are exploding with divine emotions every one of them is separated from krishna so uh, that is actually what happens to a devotee you know when we chanting hari krishna nothing seems to be happening no action is happening but actually the action but even when we are not aware it's happening inside the heart and then finally so in this particular past time when krishna is radharani radharani is krishna and the gopis see that krishna is suffering in separation from krishna krishna is radharani is suffering is suffering in separation from krishna so then they can't tolerate this and then they tell, they don't know where krishna is so what they do is just tell krishna actually you are not radharani you are krishna and then suddenly krishna comes back to say oh i am krishna and he looks at himself and his whole form changes and then immediately radharani appears over there and she smiles mischievously see i told you i am not the culprit your flute is the culprit and the krishna takes his flute and touches it and says yes my flute is the culprit so the spiritual world is filled with such extraordinary profound sweet pastimes and when we hear this pastime they spontaneously attract our heart to krishna and all the other desires gradually go away by the process of purification and you know when we hear these pastimes we actually feel attracted i want to go back to the spiritual world i want to be there to perform past participate in the wonderful pastimes of krishna in whatever way he sees fit and when this spiritual desire arises in our heart then bhaktanath thakur says in jaiva dharma that is the beginning of the supreme auspiciousness somehow some spiritual desire has to awaken in our heart and once that awakens then that desire will carry us forward that desire is nourished more and more by the association of devotees and it will take us ultimately back home back to god so therefore it is not just a empty boast when we say actually i'll just conclude with one uh, story 
one incident now this is not a matter of pride for us that krishna consciousness is the best it's a matter of responsibility for us this whole radhanath maharaj was in kumbhamela so in 2001 at that time one person one hindu person came and he said uh, he saw that the maharaj was a foreign bodied person so he said swami why did you convert from your religion to our religion so maharaj said no oh, actually all religions teach love of god and everybody has to you can develop love for god by following the different religions said, yeah but then you could have developed love for god in your own jewish faith why did you convert to our religion so i said no actually all the religions teach the same goal we can all develop love for god by whatever religion we follow then finally he said what he wanted maharaj to say he said so do you agree that our religion is superior to your religion and that's why you converted from your religion to our religion so maharaj said i accepted lord krishna as my lord not because hinduism is superior or because other religions are inferior but because krishna attracted my heart like no one else because krishna attracted my heart like no one else so it's not just a matter of pride oh my path is the best path that will become monday if my path is the best then actually i should develop the best love for krishna follow the process and develop the love for krishna and when we develop the love for krishna then we can attract the whole world to come to krishna's lotus feet and share the same ecstasy that's what shri prabhupada did in just 11 years he traveled all over the world and because his heart was filled with love for krishna you know he attracted millions of people to develop love for krishna and we are so fortunate that prabhupada's disciples have carried it on and now they have given all of us krishna consciousness and we can all relish it in our hearts and share it with others so i'll quickly summarize i started by talking about how hmm, there is the sambandha abhideyan prayojan which is there in every path whatever we want to do we want to do, develop a relationship possess a car then we follow a process get a loan and then purchase the car and enjoy but uh, what to develop sambandha with that is told in the vedic literature different people have different sambandhas so it is to develop with god all the religions talk about that but the knowledge of god is most clearly given in the vedic scripture so that it attracts us to develop a sambandha with him and then we discussed how the concept of leela helps us to understand how god loves his devotees and how we all have a sambandha with him then we discuss elaborately about abhideya it's not just enough to want to develop love for god there has to be a process will power cannot cure lose motion so similarly will power alone cannot transform our heart we have to have a process and prabhupad gave us the process prabhupad was a doctor who was extremely compassionate but at the same time non populist that's why he gave the do's and the don'ts and we discussed how we can uh, among the genes the upbringing the association the free will and god's grace by changing the association we can actually begin to access uh, our own free will more effectively and access krishna's grace and experience magical transformation in the heart and then lastly we discussed about how you know the prayojan the wonderful goal that is waiting for us when we develop our love for krishna that is also beautifully described in the scriptures thank you very much shri chaitanya charitamrit ki shri la prabhupad ki gaur bhakt vrind ki jai jai gaur premanande thank you